This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today we begin breaking down the subcategories of the Jews and the Israelites and how the salvation of the Gentiles is a fulfillment to God's promise. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here once again with Thad Keenel as we bring you the Planted Podcast. How are you doing, Thad? I'm doing good. I'm excited about today's show. What do you think? We're uh, still talking about Israel, but uh, the more we talk about it, it seems like it's it kind of... Uh, I don't want to say it disintegrates, but it, it goes into a, this multifaceted aspect of right of defining who Israel is, and there's the subcategories, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. As is often the case, before we start recording, Thad and I start talking, <laughs> and you know, sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's ten minutes in terms of discussing, you know, things. And and I think we just had a fifteen minute. Discussion. I think next time I'm just going to hit record <laughs> and just start the show with that conversation because right. it's interesting and it would give people, you know, this, this episode, I mean, our planted podcast, it's barely formatted. You yeah, it's a I conversation. Mean? It is. It's, it's a, an open conversation. It is. And so sometimes we yeah. will go back and forth and I do my best to throw you off track and you have right. to reel me back in. Right. And we do our, I mean, we call it the planted podcast because we want it rooted in scripture. We want it centered on scripture. And, and this episode, I think we might be a little bit more tangential in the sense that we're just going to be asking a lot of questions we may not have answers for yet. But the in terms of what you were saying, Israel can can mean various things depending on the context and what's going on. And so we're trying to get to the heart of that. And we're really, ultimately, we're coming in with a, a preconceived conviction that the New Testament writers are giving us direction. That we that there we want to we we went we spent a lot of time in the Old Testament uh, to try to get all the context and everything, but ultimately the Holy Spirit through the New Testament writers has given us some of the keys for which to help us you know understand God's purpose for His people and and how this comes to be. And so we we last week we went into Galatians and we looked at Paul's whole argument of the 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 gospel and its relationship to faith, and the sons of Abraham are those who have uh, faith. Uh, right. it, it, wasn't, it wasn't about genealogy. It wasn't about what your, how you could trace back your ethnic you know, roots, even though it's not unrelated. But that's not what makes someone a son of Abraham, according to Paul in Galatians, is someone who has faith. In uh, Galatians, it's faith in Christ— who is Yahweh, right? And so the same faith that Abraham had in Yahweh were to have in Christ. And if we have that faith in Christ, then we are a son of Abraham. Right. And uh, what we've done is we've kind of blown out of the water the concept of the Old Testament being about salvation by works ever. Yeah. Right. It's always been about faith. And that starts with Abraham, as you said. Right. And then as we moved into the topic of of who Israel is. We talked about this people that the Lord has called unto himself and he brings them um, being led by Moses, which is a you know going to be a very important character as yeah. we've spoken of, um, through the Red Sea and he redeems them from Egypt and he is going to take them into this promised land. In the meantime, he's about ready to 
covenant with the people of Israel, right? And so there's these 12 tribes that are gathered together and 400,000 or 600,000 men or something is what's right. recorded, right? So it's a, it's a huge number of people that are making the trek into the Canaanite land. And yet we find that as we were talking about Israel being, that's a people, and now we have this land Israel, so there's another definition of Israel, right? right? And then we're going to see a separation between the southern and northern tribes of Israel, and those are going to be described kind of differently. The northern tribes described as Israel, and the southern tribes described as Judah. Yeah, so we have the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Israel. Now, Sometimes other terms get used too, especially when it comes to the northern tribes. Sometimes it is referred to as Israel, but then other times it can be referred to as Ephraim or Ephraim and Manasseh, and we'll we'll get into oh, that. That's going to be good, yeah. You know, too. Right. But but the um, there is this comprehensive word Israel that includes all twelve tribes, right? And there, but there are times, especially when we get into the New Testament. And we'll start seeing that even the Gospels, it says Jesus went and spoke to the Jews, right? Or the Jewish leaders mm-hmm. or things like that. And when the word Jew starts getting used, I probably for a long time just thought that's equivalent with Israel. A Jew is an Israelite, which is true. A Jew is an Israelite, but not all Israelites are Jews. Right. This is another aspect. So now we've just added one more layer to it, right? Right. As the Gentiles are, are being brought in by faith. Well, even in the Old Testament, if, if they wanted to um, come into yeah. be under Yahweh's covenant, um, they became part of the family of Israel. Of Israel right? right. And so that goes on into the New Testament, um, all by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ, right. who kind of unifies this whole thing. Right. But now we have even further definitions of who right. of who Israel is. Right. Yeah, so it's yeah. So so why in the New Testament do we start seeing this term Jew being used? Well, it is because when the two tribes split apart after Solomon. So when Solomon dies, his sons start fighting over the kingdom. But actually, what ends up happening is one of his sons. I believe it's Rehoboam gets becomes king in the Judah area in in, in the Judean area mm-hmm. the southern tribes around Jerusalem and in what became known as Judea but the northern there's a split and the northern tribes actually Jeroboam becomes king and he's not of the line of of David he's actually a servant of of was a servant of Solomon's of some kind and he's actually an Ephrathite He's from the line of Ephraim. And so we have the northern kingdom, which is... And Ephraim connects to Joseph. Ephraim is one of the sons of Joseph, which I don't know that we'll go there this episode, but it's going to be interesting when we get there, is that two of, of Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, Jacob calls and basically incorporates um, them as one of his sons. He kind of takes them, instead of just having Joseph being a representative, he actually takes Manasseh and, and Ephraim, which is interesting because I think, and you have to check, we need to verify this, but because if we think about the tribe of Levi, they don't get the they don't get any portion right. of the land. Correct. You know, 
But there are 12 tribes that get portions of the land because Joseph, one of the 12 sons, is actually in some senses split in two. Into two tribes. <laughs> into two tribes. <laughs> right. you know, so we'll get into that because we want to go back at some point and look at Genesis 48. But that really won't probably come until we have a good conversation about Romans 11. But, uh, and, and today I, I kind of want us to start in Romans 9. But before we do, I, just, I want to highlight the fact that when you, when you read Jew in the New Testament, in the Gospels, know that that's talking about the southern tribes. So why is that the case? Well, in 7, is it 26, somewhere in there, um, the, the northern tribes are defeated by, the northern king of Israel is defeated by Assyria, and they're carried off into Assyria and assimilated into the all these other all these other nations all these other nations yeah. because it was the practice of of Assyria to basically take away people's identity mm-hmm. that now now did did some people remain in the land sure it's not like every single individual but for the most part the identity of the na- of the northern tribes of Israel at that point becomes lost so we think about the lost tribes of Israel you're talking about those 10 tribes mm-hmm. okay then in 5 but anyway uh, in the late 500s BC, we have um, the southern tribes. Judah is conquered by Babylon, and Jerusalem's sacked, and the temples destroyed, and most of the elite and leaders, and you know, religious leaders and political leaders, ruling classes are carried off into Babylon. Right, and this is what like this is when Daniel was carried off into Babylon. Exactly. So if you, for right. flim, and, and a lot of people yeah. were, but there were some who right. remained. But right. the point is. For the most part, the identity of the southern kingdom was lost, not lost, but, but just carried into exile. And then they are actually, 40 years later, they're brought back into, they're allowed to return to the land. Well, there's a 70-year... Oh, 70 years. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. That's right. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're, they're allowed to return to the land, okay? Um, and they rebuild. And, but... They don't really, or they're not never really restored to their former glory because they never really self-rule yeah. again. So, and so by the time we get to the Gospels and uh, the arrival of Jesus, there is a Jewish nation to some extent that, but it's not autonomous. They they have an identity. They're living in the land, and they're really living. Not just in Judah, they're even living up into the north a little bit, you know, because Jesus is up in Galilee, Galilee and, and, and things right. like that. So, but they're not in control. The Romans are are the ones in control, right? Right. And so you have the Herodians and and the Sadducees are kind of Herodians. The Sadducees are the ones who who control the temple, right? Now, they're the chief priests, and they're in league with Roman, and so they're able to promote the Jewish religion, they're able to offer sacrifices, they're able to be Jews, but they're not, but they're only doing it because they're in an alliance with, and subservient to the Romans. Right, and I was going to jump in on, to add one more level of the name Jews, is that um, I've considered in various parts of the scriptures, it says like when the Jews were plotting, Mm -hmm. that that was the leadership that you just described. Right. So that's kind of another sect of Jews from overall Judeans. Right. You know, so yeah, I, now, now Pharisees, another sect, would be Jews as well, mm-hmm. but they really didn't. They had influence among the people, 
but they really they were they were kind of in some senses peaceful protesters of Rome. They weren't like a zealot who was actively trying to fight against right. the Romans, right. but they despised the Romans. The the Pharisees did. Where the um, the the Sadducees and the, the the chief priests and the ruling class, they 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 didn't love the Romans, but they but they definitely said, "Hey, we're going to play the political game, and we're going to be their friends so that we can be so that we can have our identity, right? You yeah. know, kind of a thing." Right. So anyway, all to say is that. When you when you read the word Jew in the New Testament, know that you're talking about a subset of Israel from the Old Testament perspective. So, are you saying that when we're reading and we from one sentence to the next, or even within the same sentence, they might have both Jew and Israel in connecting sentences? That we might want to just take note of that as being described? you could. Yeah, I, I can't think of one in particular, but I I, I think. It's just good to know. So I mean, think even in Romans, because I want to get to Romans 9, earlier in Romans, Paul is talking about the Jews, because he himself is a Jew, and he talks about the Jews having the law and the advantage of being a Jew in one sense, but yet the, the pitfall that they fell into in thinking that through their legalistic keeping of the law and these practices, they would be right with God. Right? Just as he does in Galatians and Ephesians and a lot of his, his letters, he, he uses the Jews in that sense. So um, it, I'll just jump to um, chapter 2, verse 17. He says, but if you call yourself, he's been, again, he's talking about, he's contrasting the law and the gospel in some senses. Um, again, the law is good, but it, it, it has no power to save. Uh, and so he says, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you are yourself are a guide to the blind, a light stone who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? While you say... What one must uh, not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? All these kind of, so he keeps going. Basically saying, you have the law, you preach against the law, but you yourself are breaking it. Right. Right. And that's the whole story of Israel. That's the whole story of the Old Testament. They have it. They've entered into covenant with God. And they got there by grace. Nothing they own did. But, but then when they entered into it, they just continue to break it. Right. So he's saying that is there. And then at the beginning of chapter three, he says, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision, one of the issues that he often has to deal with? Because the Judaizers, in in a lot of the towns he goes to, Paul says, I go first to the Jews. He goes, preaches to the Jews first, right? Mm -hmm. And so some people say, well, you have to, even even the Gentiles who follow Christ have to get circumcised and keep start keeping the festivals. And that whole thing that he talked to Peter about, which we, we mentioned you know, with in Galatians last week. So not to go back into that. But that's what he's saying. But what he's doing is he's he's using Jew as the term, right? Because why would he be doing that? He could he could be saying Israel, but the point I think the reason is is because after when you have the return and you have the whole second temple period of time um, from from Ezra and Nehemiah into and then even into the days of of Jesus and the Gospels and so forth. 
what's left of Israel in terms of any kind of practicing of the faith is, is pretty much left to the Jews. Now, you know, Samaritans could argue with them a little bit about that, and they probably did, but the point is, is that the Jews themselves saw themselves as the true ones, and, and they're, they're the ones that have the word of God and, and are, the, are the faithful right, remnant. Right. right, and so within them also is the Levites and the temple. They're still the guardians of the, of the temple right. at that point. Yeah, exactly. And so, so what we have here is Paul referring to the Jews as the ones, because that's who's remaining, okay? And so he would refer to... He's using the Jews as the ones with the law and the, the ones who are keeping it, trying to keep it, and, and all this stuff. But then when we get into chapters 9 to 11 of Romans, he starts using the term Israel. And so we have to start asking the question, why switch? Why start using Israel and not continue to just use Jew? Um, uh, so something's happening here where he he starts to do this. So we want to ask that question. We want to investigate that. But before we do that, just to kind of, um, you can spend six years studying the, you know, every week or doing a sermon series or whatever on the book of Romans. I mean, there's a lot there. But to get us to chapter nine, you know, the first eight chapters, there's a lot of, is, is Paul laying through all, is, is basically preaching the gospel of grace, and he's laying this out for us um, in a longer version. What, what's kind of what he does in a shorter version in like Galatians and Ephesians and so forth, he spends more time here in Romans. And I think a lot of what he's doing in Romans, he's 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 drawing it out more, making it more full, particularly for trying to bring the unity of Jew and Gentile together to see that it is the same gospel for both. Okay. Right. Um, so I just want to read real quick from a commentary, the ESV commentary on um, on Romans. I think this is uh, I think this is Yarbrough. I think is the author of this one, but of uh, this of the Romans section here. But I just want to read what what he says here as he introduces chapter nine. He says the opening words of this section come as a shock. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. Romans nine one. He said, this may seem out of the blue. Why does Paul think he needs to defend his truthfulness? But in view of what lies behind chapters 1 through 8 and just ahead, 9 to 11, Paul's protest of honesty is understandable and necessary. Just completed are eight chapters that would seem totally unacceptable to Jews of Paul's day. Everything he has affirmed about the gospel is rooted in claims about God, God's word, God's people, God's salvific plan, and God's continuing promises. But this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul claims this is also the God who has become man in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But most Jews reject that. In that sense, Paul can be viewed as a deceiver and enemy of Israel in its religious manifestation known as Judaism. Being a Jew himself and desiring deeply the salvation of his kinsmen, Paul feels the weight of these implicit charges. So, he still has the Jews very much in mind as he's doing this, right? He, his heart is broken for his people. 
And that's why he's preaching this gospel and laying it out in such a way, hopefully, that they would be hear it and be convicted and, and say, Jesus is our Messiah. He is the way of salvation. We need him, right? And so, and that's why he, because that's where his heart is. That's why he goes first to the Jews. He goes first to the synagogues, if there's one in if any town there, and he preaches there first, right? Right, right. And so, so that's all there. So then the question then becomes, for me is, if that's the case, why does he start using Israel? <laughs> and I think it's one because obviously Jews are Israelites, but I think what he's trying to do in some senses is connect the Jewish relationship, is the Jewish acceptance of gen, the Gentiles is connected to Israel, the whole of Israel, right? Which if we think about it, the fact that what happened to those 10 tribes when they were lost or when they, you know, where did they go? Right. You know, well, they were, yeah, they were assimilated into the the nations around them. Yeah. Right. right. And, and now this may have to do with Israel or um, one of my questions that is um, alive and remaining right now is the return from Babylon, the Babylonian captivity. Uh, one of my questions is the people that did not, or the, the Israelites or the Jewish people who did not return from Babylon to Jerusalem, so to speak, mm-hmm. or to that area, some of them, some of them, it's reported they stayed behind. They stayed in the Babylon, and they right. and they went to these other areas. And we have this term that's called the diaspora, right? Which is a word that means dispersion. Really, right. they're dispersed into these other areas. Right. And my question uh, is, pending whether the dis, the diaspora is just those from the Babylonian captivity, or if it's also considered those whom the Lord writes a certificate of divorce, yeah. right? Yeah. And sends them into the other nations and they are assimilated into those other nations. In a sense, they're also dispersed among these Gentile nations, right? right? And so, um, so whatever the answer to that question is, I'm holding that intention with what takes place on the day of Pentecost, because at the time of Pentecost, we have um, Peter's famous speech, and we have all of those um, that are, if you recall, there's there's foreigners in the land, right? foreign-speaking people that are in the land. But the key to this is that uh, Pentecost is one of the three major holidays that was required for all able bodies right. to be if they could get there, right? And so you have this uh, pilgrimage that takes place a couple, three times a year um, from these outlying areas, and they come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. They may have stayed there for 50 days, you know, left over from the time of the Unleavened Bread Feast as well. Who knows? <laughs> but what's interesting is is that I don't think that it's necessarily Gentiles that are hearing the gospel in their own language. I think it's faithful Jews from the outlying areas that have now taken on these foreign-speaking languages because that becomes home to them. Sure. And they're the ones that are, because that's who comes to Israel during right. that time. Right. You know, so it's interesting. And so I'm trying to just... Well, let's look at Paul himself. Yeah. It's Paul of Tarsus. Right. Right. Where's Tarsus? I don't know. I think it's it. Tarsus is 
is in um is it is it is it in Turkey area? It's in Turkey. It's in Turkey. Yeah, so it that's is. What, yeah. That's what I said. Yeah, you're right. Okay. All right. Make sure you tell everybody that I was right. <laughs> so tell so tell me about Paul. All right, yeah, so Paul's from Tarsus, right? Which you're right, he's from in Turkey. And so but the the point is is that Paul is calling himself a Jew, but he did not grow up in Judea, right? So, but he is... He's bloodline of Benjamin, I believe, right? Yeah. He's a Benjamite. Right. And so, which is one of the two of the... I mean, it was Judah and Benjamin, which were left, and then there would be some and the, Levites. And the Levites, who, yeah. Who would be there. So, um, anyway, Paul identifies as a Jew, but he was from Tarsus, right? And so... He was likely there on the day of Pentecost. He he made that pilgrimage down, and and um, he was after this whole thing. He stayed in the land, and he starts persecuting Christians as as a good faithful Jew until he gets you know woken up to the uh, God shows it to, him. He shows, shows it to him a little more clearly, <laughs> right? Yeah. And Jesus Himself you know appears to him. Right. So there's an identity there. Of being a Jew, of some, but he grew up in what is you know in Asia Minor, which today modern day Turkey. And so, would Paul call himself an Israelite? Yes, he would also be a Jew. Okay, what would we don't know from the biblical record, and I don't know how much we know in history, but would a Reubenite, who would be one of the northern ten tribes? Right, that was cared of. Would people were there people in Paul's day who would have identified as a Reubenite? Oh yeah, right. Be, well, oh, in Paul's day as a Reubenite, probably not. Yeah, we don't know. That's, we don't know. That's yeah. Part of it is we don't know. Could could yeah. it maybe somebody have hung on? But if they did, what would they would they have started? Would they have started coming to a synagogue? I don't know. But the point is, if there was a synagogue in Tarsus, and I'm sure I, I'm sure there was. They identified as Jew, as a Judean, mm-hmm. right? The synagogues that were, that were, we'll use the word, planted all throughout Asia Minor and into you know Greece and Rome and so forth. They would be, they would identify themselves as Jews and Israelites, but they would, they would be Jews. The Jews would be the ones leading the synagogues in the dispersion. So this is all back to your question about the dispersion. Mm-hmm. That would, that would be our understanding from history, and I'm willing to be corrected on this, but it's the, the rise of the synagogue happened out, you know, kind of out of that second temple period, the people who didn't return to the land, and even maybe some who did, but then they dispersed, went off for maybe, you know, it, for, because of they were a merchant or they, right. you know, whatever. And they went and they, they landed and their family landed in a city and they started a synagogue. And so that would be the Jews, you know. So there were Jews that were living in the land of Palestine, but there were Jews living in Galatia and Cappadocia and Jews living in Rome uh, and and Athens and, you know, those places as well. Yeah, and then we have one more kind of people group, the Samaritans, which kind of stay in the land, and they keep their identity to this day. Yeah, there there is a group that, yeah. Which is, uh, we won't... Just yeah, we, get, that's, all. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different thing, but they're included in the gospel call, right? Exactly, exactly. So, um, so with all that in mind, I want to. I, I just want to keep reading here in Romans nine. 
I'll start back in verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Okay. Now, up to this point, I'm thinking, okay, he's talking about the Jews here, right? Yeah, you, you could think yeah. that. But, and so yeah. in verse 4, then he says, they are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So he drops it all the way back to before, well, really, at least to the United Kingdom. I mean, but it's all the way back to when the the, the The law is given. The patriarchs, yeah, yeah, all the way back. Yeah, yeah. all the way back to Abraham, right? Right. and then verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. Now, why would he say that? Well, because he knows there are these kinsmen of his who aren't believing in Christ. He says, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Oh, now that sounds a little bit like Galatians to me. Yeah. I don't know if it's the word, but but not all who are, who are sons of Abraham are are. Yeah, are, right? Right, so now we've added, we're adding another element here. Yeah. So so he seems to be here saying, okay, now he's, we have ethnic Israel, and sometimes the term you've spiritual Israel would be used, right? Those who have the faith of Abraham. So again, I'll, start, I'll repeat in verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is, is what the promise said, about this time next year I'll return and Sarah shall have a son, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Though they were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of his works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, and Esau, but Esau I have hated. Right? Now that last verse gets thrown around a lot, especially mm-hmm. among Reformed and, and Calvinists. Um, and I think appropriately often, but sometimes even so, I think that... One who comes from that line, I think I've even missed some of the impetus of what's happening here, right? Because we use it a lot to, to help us define election, right? And, and rightfully so. But I think Paul's in this, he is, he's wanting to get something even bigger than election. He's bringing up election to prove a bigger point, mm-hmm. <laughs> Right? And I think at times I've been guilty of making it all just about election when I think that election is serving a greater purpose. And again, that greater purpose is always the restoration of all things. Um, he chose Abraham and Sarah. He called them out of the nations and made them into a nation to bless the nations. Right. Right. And that's all part of this argument that what he's going into. And in one sense, it's like, I mean, he's getting off on kind of a little deep theological tangent here. But if we keep reading, he says, what shall we say then? 
Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Because what's the accusation? The accusation starts becoming, well, back to the original part. I'm assuming here when he's, he's bringing this up because he's addressing someone who's ethnic Israel, right? Or in this, in, or I would see maybe more specifically, he's still talking about Judeans who would still be able to identify themselves ethnically in this way. Because there would be some ethnic Israel who wouldn't necessarily identify that way because they've been absorbed into the nations, okay? But, but for who he's, his heart is broken for his kinsmen, I'm going to say he's probably thinking about Jews, these people in these synagogues in, in this Gentile territory, right, that he's going to. Right? Sure. So, so okay. So, is there an injustice that Gentiles are being included because of faith where an, a Jew wouldn't be? Well, this, he's, what he's saying is you could make the same accusation of people who are ethnically or genealogically related to Abraham, because even Jacob and Esau have that same, they're both blood of, of Abraham and Isaac, but yet. Jacob's getting favored over Esau, right? So he, I think he's doing it for the purpose of making that connection. So he says, what then shall we say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. All right, Thad, a little Bible trivia here. Where, what's he quoting from there? Ooh, that's a good question. This is all the way back to, um, this is probably all the way back to Exodus. It, that, yeah. It's, it, it's it after the golden calf. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> so, I mean, think about that. Think about our whole discussion on the fall after the fall of the nation in the sense in the golden calf episode after they had just become a covenant people of God, right? And, and so, but he's also describing his character here. But within that, we see this isn't, this isn't God just saying, hey, I get to choose who I want to choose. You know, so I think some people can read that and accuse Christians of like, that's the tone, you know, of like, hey, I'm God. I get to do what I want to do. Well, he is God, and he does get to do what he wants to do. But when he does what he wants to do, it's always for good reason. And, it's, and what he's doing is he's showing mercy and compassion. Right. You know, we always have to keep that in mind. He's showing mercy and compassion. He doesn't have to show mercy and compassion. He does, he didn't have to stick with Israel after the golden calf. No, in fact, he was talking about, you know, <laughs> hypothetically consuming them. Right. And Moses threw the argument down. And so he, and that's just all to show right. that God can, because we're all, this is, and this is the case for all of us, even from the, since the fall, right? We're, we're guilty, right? Mm-hmm. And the question is, what do we do with our guilt? Well, right. We pay the wages of our guilt. The wages of sin is death. death. And so um, we, we all stand before God, guilty sinners, worthy of justice, which we don't want justice, right. right? We want mercy. And we were talking about this last week, I believe. But the idea here is that God um, is so rich in mercy that he keeps the people unto himself. Yeah. And he keeps shedding his His grace and his love uh, that Right. And and his promise, his commitment to his promise. Right. And so the purpose of all this is verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, or in literally it could be more translated as him who wills or runs. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's through our effort here. And so, um, but on God who has mercy. So the whole point of this is to show the, the, the merciful saving nature of our God. 
For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. All to reveal his gracious nature and to show that the power and that the salvation all comes from him. And so this is very important as we're thinking about the Gentiles. So in some senses here, now Paul is preaching, I think, to the Gentiles in this section as well, because he's saying, hey, Gentiles, you who are included in Abraham who have faith, you got nothing to boast about either. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. It all depends on God. You know, and so you know, you Gentiles, you were, you could have just as easily been Pharaoh, right? Right. But instead, the Gentiles who have faith, they have nothing to brag about either, because it's all because of of the will, the gracious will and mercy of God too. Right. And if they were good, if they were good Israelites, they would have um, been falling on the promise of God that it's it's a this is a faith thing that we are a kingdom of priests and we're to therefore share the glory of God to these nations around us. But what were they doing instead? They were boasting in their own bloodline. Right. And and we can do that too sometimes, right? There, it's, um, it, our humanists can get the better of us at, at times, but Paul here is absolutely leveling the playing field, saying that it doesn't matter about your bloodline. You know, the Gospel of John in chapter 1 says a very similar thing. Those who are born not of the will, the flesh, nor of the bloodline right. type of thing, but of God. Right. You know, and it's a, uh, it's a, it, it just goes to show <laughs> we can be so arrogant in our thinking that we're smart, you know, on, on things, <laughs> right? And, yeah, quit, quit preaching to me here. You know? it, no, it's to, my, <laughs> to myself first, of course. Yeah. And, and then when we fall in the mercy of God, we realize that it's, oh, it's it's right. all about it's all about His grace and His it tenderness, is. and and through my best efforts, it's nothing but filthy rags. And so, you know, when you're striving to please God on your own accord or to um, to brag, saying, you know what, I guess I must have been smarter than Joe over here next to me that uh, that isn't getting this gospel message. He's just a, a fool. Oh, shame on me. Yeah, you know, and because uh, that's me, and we. We have to remember the order of salvation comes with God first. It comes with a changed heart before repentance. Right. You know, sometimes it's it's spoken of or written a little bit differently than that, but the idea is that we, we can't soften our own heart. We can't. I mean, I, I, I try to tell people all the time, I, I truly believe that I chose Jesus, but I was given the ability to. It was my will. It was me doing it. Right. But I couldn't have done it in, until God came and did something. First well, I think next me, week right? we'll be talking about some of this because uh, the promise goes out uh, to Moses in Deuteronomy, the, the the twenty-eight through thirty-four passages, right? Yeah. Um, in in regard to that new heart, yeah, right aspect, you know, and yeah. so. It's coming. The day is coming. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Oh, I want to keep going here because oh, I want to get to the Told Gentiles you. in Romans 9. <laughs> um, and, but as we wrap up here, we don't even discuss it that much, but I want to get to it. He says, you'll say to me then, uh, verse 19, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will, will that which is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? 
He has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath to to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also for the Gentiles, Gentiles. right? So the Gentiles are included in all this honorable, dishonorable. You know, who's the honorable and who's the dishonorable? Who's the vessels of wrath? Well, the Jew would be thinking, that's the Gentile, that's the Gentile, that's the Gentile. But actually what Paul's saying here is actually, he's actually saving them as well. He's showing mercy to them as well. Why? Well, I think what we'll see is he's doing it in some senses because he's He's actually bringing back in those lost tribes of the clay, right? <laughs> uh, but so, verse uh, twenty-five, as indeed he says in Hosea, "Those who were not my people, I will call my people; and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved." So this this is prophesied in the Old Testament, right? This is the nations being brought in. And verse twenty-six, and in the very place where it was said to them, "You are not my people," where they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, the Lord of hosts has not left us offspring. We would have been like Sodom and have become like Gomorrah. Hmm. So I'm just going to stop there for today. But what we see is all of this is, should be convicting to both the Jew and the Gentile, right? Um, the Gentile has no, has no reason to brag, but they're just being brought in by the mercy of God because in some senses, you know, the Jew would be thinking of them as, the, you know, the, the potter made them for destruction so that Israel could be exalted, <laughs> right? But, but actually, no, he's bringing them in too, and, and, and it's through the Gentiles that actually, I think we'll see later on Israel, Later on in Romans, that that Israel's being going to be brought back in too, right? So, so I think one of the questions we're going to keep asking for the next few episodes is, what happened to those lost tribes? Where is that? And and how? Where does this come into the equation? And what's God doing about it? And so, I am becoming more and more convinced that part of the answer to this in the Old Testament goes all the way back to Genesis. Um, uh, to Genesis uh, at the end of Jacob's life. And so I don't know if we'll go there next week first or what, but but I, it's fascinating to me that I for so many years I missed this or, or it was we never understood this. But we see that there is this intentional connection between um, the Gentiles of, of Paul's day and and Israel. And so, um, and and all of and and the Jews are related to this um, in in a fascinating way as well. So hang in there with us, and uh, unless you have a final question for us today, I, I don't really have. I mean, we can keep on talking. No, it's uh, there's so many. First of all, I appreciate you know the way that you're walking us through this in, incredible topic because it. It really has been helping me 
dig back into some of these books that I've tried to ignore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're just, they, they seem difficult or right. sometimes, and I know they're not irrelevant because I've, my, one of my favorite studies of all times is Leviticus with the feast and stuff like that. So sure. I know the more that you're in it, the more it's going to be coming alive. And, and the sections that you study, if you, the more time you spend on spend in those individual topics, you realize how relative they are to the entire thread of the gospel message, right? Yeah. And it's very strange um, how the Bible works. To me, it's one of the you know, imminent proofs that it is the word of God because yeah. it's so living in, in the way that the span of authors over these hundreds of years um, uh, being penned by, by these men, inspired by God, of course, with the primary mission demonstrating what God has testified to from the very beginning that I want to, I want to have a people for myself. Right. Right. And really it becomes a love offering or a love gift unto the son to whom the son has to lay down his life. That, that is the, it's the gospel of course. And it's, it's there for all people. uh, But God is still in control of that. And we need to fall on his mercies for, for that salvific grace that he gives to us. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we are, you know, we're, we're deeply, deeply grateful for God's love and commitment to his creation and to keep his promise to Abraham <laughs> and all his descendants. That what we're finding is, is we, um, who maybe wouldn't first identify as sons of Abraham get included in that, right? Right, and um, and the un- kind of the unveiling of this through the mystery of the gospel, as 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 uh, as Paul talks about, is there, and it's it's actually I think we'll find more and more we see these seeds of it, seeds of this promise in the Old Testament that is becoming fully unveiled and and revealed through our New Testament writers who who when they see Jesus, um, they see the door opening up to all these things. Yeah. And one more aspect that we haven't mentioned in the last couple episodes, but we did earlier on in, in the season, is the idea that eschatology, which is the study of end things, it really is, you know, it goes through the entirety of Scripture from the beginning to the end. But one thing that many people are looking for right now in the church is what God is going to do with Israel right. as, as we as we move through this time, right? They're expecting um, a renewed Israel in, in that land. And one of the things that I think we're discovering together is that what we've just been speaking of is how God is renewing Israel and how he's bringing them back in. Right. And it's part of a spiritual kingdom. It's, it's, I mean, it's here on earth, yeah. right? But it's part of a bigger reality that is bigger than the land. It's bigger than some future temple, which would be actually be going backwards according to the covenant, <laughs> yeah. you know, and all these things. So um, I, I, I've had to really wrestle with some of my presuppositions, you know, from right. years ago. And, and it's good. It's good to kind of get kicked yeah. in the teeth once in a while and, and yeah. say, wow, this is... Right. And, you know, I just want to say quickly that we could label those presuppositions as biblical because we drew them out of the Bible. We were taught them from Bible teachers. Right. Right. But I think we always need to say if, if we're going to continue to meditate on Scripture and try our best to be faithful readers of Scripture, we need to be open to the idea that at times, I, even though I was trying at the time to be as faithful as I could, 
I could have missed some things, right? And so, or misunderstood in a certain way. And often it didn't have anything really to do with where salvation lies. We know it lies in Jesus. Sure, sure. But when it comes to the discerning some of these things, um, I want to try to stay a humble learner and be willing to listen to some people. And I listen to some people, I'm like, no, I, I really don't think they've got it. I think there's other, you know, there's other ways still the right way. But when the scriptures get opened up and the, that double-edged sword comes and the Spirit works in me, and I be, begin to be convinced of this, I, I do want to start teaching it myself. I, I want to start helping others see. And, and, and you be a good Berean and go back and test it. And, and, you know, we, and there are things we agree to disagree on. And we shouldn't break fellowship over some things. You know, I don't want to break fellowship with somebody who's a dispensational premillennialist because I'm I'm not right. But um, but let's have let's have healthy dialogue, and let's look at the scriptures, and let's see what's what God is saying here. And I'm I'm grateful for, for the people who've done the work and um, and kind of uh, opened up my eyes to some of these things. Uh, and so. Uh, so yeah, uh, you know, again, and hopefully Thad might put this in the show notes again. If you have questions, you want to, you know, email us, you know, respond to us in some way. We we would love to, you know, to get into some things, and um, that's what we're here for. And we'd love to, you know, sometimes have guests on and things like that if we can. So uh, hang in there with us. We're gonna keep going here, and uh, I think. Maybe next time we'll maybe we'll get to Genesis forty-eight. We'll um, see. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Pastor. Yep. Good day. Next week we'll look into Hosea and the promise to a group called "Not My People." Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production. Connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.